Hi, we're Ellen Taylor, and we're here to join you on your journey from pregnancy to birth, postpartum, and beyond. Here on the podcast, you'll get interviews with birth and parenting professionals, birth stories, and educational episodes to get you feeling confident, supported, and empowered on your journey to and through parenting. Welcome to Birth Reimagined. Hi, I'm Elle Kennedy, a birth photographer and doula based in Orange County, California. Hi, I'm Dr. Taylor Garcia, a doctor of chiropractic, also here in Orange County. Today, we're talking to Rose Vanderkapellen, and she's going to be sharing her birth story with us. Hi, Rose. How are you doing today? Hi, Elle. Hi, Taylor. I'm doing well. We're so glad to have you on the show. Happy to be here. So let's start out with uh, something kind of simple. How many children do you have, Rose, and how old are they? I have two kids. I have Charlotte, who is seven. She'll be eight in November, and Ellis, who is six. He just turned six last week. Oh, that's awesome. Happy birthday, Ellis. Happy birthday. And uh, which birth story are you going to be sharing with us today? I'm going to share the one with Charlotte. This was my first time around, and I learned a whole lot that time. All right. Awesome. So go ahead and tell us about your journey into parenthood. All right. So I, I was 39 weeks and four days pregnant. And I had a regular doctor appointment and I had been feeling all the things that you feel before you have a baby. And I was like, oh, it's going to be soon. But my doctor, who I wasn't a huge fan of, she she was going to go on vacation that weekend. So she thought she would take it upon herself to speed things along without letting me know. And definitely stripped my membranes without my permission. And then I went wow. into labor quickly after that. So, so that was my, oh, wow. woo, here Jeez. we go. Yeah, Goodness. that's, okay. that's actually something we're going to be talking about quite a bit on the podcast is consent and what that means, especially in the birth room, because I feel like a lot of moms, a lot of people who've been through this journey have stories of not giving consent before things uh, are done to them. Absolutely. And it, that wasn't the only time it happened throughout, you know, my, my labor with that doctor. And, um, actually I should go back. I should go back a little bit and I should say, you know, I did a 12 week Bradley training. And so I knew about all of this stuff. It wasn't like I didn't know, which is even scarier to think that that still happened when I knew that it could happen. And I knew all of those things and I had laid out my birth plan and I had told her what I did and what I didn't want. So she knew exactly where I was coming from and completely disregarded all of my requests. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So I, I definitely, that was definitely my biggest regret was not changing my doctor. When I had the the instinct, I had a gut feeling that she was not going to be a good doctor for me. And I just felt bad. You know, I just want, I'm just a person who, you know, feels bad about telling someone, you know, I, I want to go somewhere else. I, I was just worried <laughs> that I would upset her. I don't really know now that I look back eight years later. <laughs> yeah. But you know, when you're in that situation there, you know, I actually, I went through something very similar with Teddy and I'm going to talk about that on my episode about my own birth. And it was the same thing. I had that gut feeling. This is not the right doctor for me. And I stuck with her anyway. I think when you're in that position, you're so overwhelmed by everything that's happening and your body is changing 
and you're going through this and there's just so many other things to think about. The thought of trying to find another doctor seems so overwhelming. Yeah, daunting, really. Like I was like, where do I even start looking? You know, I have to see if they take my insurance and like all of these little things. Like my first choice wasn't even to have a hospital birth. I was already like giving up so much because I was like, well, this is what my insurance offers. And so this is what I'm going to do. And um, I actually wanted either a, like a midwife and go to a birthing center or have a home birth, but my insurance was, didn't cover it. And I didn't know very much about anything. I was like the first person in my friend group to have a friend. I was 23 years old. It was totally planned in case anyone is wondering, not that it matters, <laughs> but um, I had gone to a super bougie uh, birthing center that was really expensive and wanted me to pay everything up front. And I was like, whoa, 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 I can't do that. <laughs> and they weren't really like flexible or working with me. And I was like, you know what? It's okay. I'm just going to go to a hospital and not stress about it. And then later I find out bunch of years later that I could have just hired a midwife and done a home birth for so much cheaper and still had my the, a doctor on you know backup and those are all things I wish I had known and you know ultimately things work out the way they do but that, that is something that I was like man I should have done more research so tell us more about your birth story so you go in you're 39 and four and she strips your membranes without asking and without getting your consent first and you said you went into labor really soon after that. So so what was that like? How how was your actual labor and birth? Okay, so right after that appointment, my sister-in-law had taken me and Darren was at work. My husband was at work. So she dropped me off at the apartment. It was around 2 o'clock. And by 2.30, I was starting to have some pretty intense contractions. And I was like, whoa. Like it was within an hour of having my me- membrane stripped that I started to feel contra- contractions pretty strongly. And they were... I don't know, about 15 minutes apart. They weren't super close together, but but I could definitely tell that it, it was work. You know, it wasn't just willy-nilly Braxton Hicks. Something was happening. Yeah. So then my husband came home around four o'clock and, you know, I stayed, I wanted to stay home for as long as possible just to avoid too many interventions. And I couldn't stay home past 6 30 because of how intense in four and a half hours my contractions got they were three minutes apart (laughs) no yeah three minutes apart one minute long you know they were just doing the thing the 311 was happening and I was like yeah so they ramped up really really quickly (laughs) yes yes out of nowhere I mean not nowhere because I know why (laughs) um Okay, so then my contractions were at 3-1-1, and I decided to go into the hospital. It was raining. It was a Friday, and it was 6.30 or so, so there was, like, kind of traffic everywhere, and it was dark because it was November. Then we arrive at the hospital, and it's shift change, so there's no nurses, really, and it was a full moon, so it was, like, The day was very busy at the hospital. There was nurses shift changing and I waited two and a half hours to get into triage. Are you you kidding? (laughs) No, I'm not kidding. Two and a half hours? Oh, that is 
boy. That's a long time. Like I know professionals. I know people who work in hospitals, and they always say, "Man, like the full moon makes everything go crazy. They're always busy on the full moon for some reason." And I know other birth professionals will back me up on this. Like the full moon brings the babies, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So I'm in the lobby for that long, just like walking and trying to like have these contractions in front of all of these people, which which is fine. You know, I'm really not worried about it. I finally get to triage and I I remember I I didn't want to have a whole lot of um, checks vaginal checks I I had put that on my birth plan because I just didn't want too many interventions I didn't want too much bacteria being introduced and so I let them check me when I arrived and then much when I was like feeling like I had to push so those were the two the two times I told them they could do that and when I first arrived I was I, I believe I was about six centimeters and I was like okay this isn't it's fine it was about 9.30 9.30 already at that point, 9.30, 10 o'clock. Mm-hmm. And I snuck in a burrito and I had a burrito. <laughs> <laughs> like, you I know what? That. You do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah. Actually, there are a lot of hospitals nowadays who are easing up on their food and drink during uh, during <laughs> labor. They're easing up on some of that at a lot of them. So you, so you sneak in this burrito. Yeah. <laughs> a burrito, heck yeah. This burrito. And then they finally get someone to come over to give me an IV, but I didn't want an IV. I specifically had put it on my birth plan. My doctor had signed the birth plan and it said, no IV. No. And then it said, if necessary, IV lock, okay. So they put an IV okay. lock in and it took many tries. They had to put it, you know, you know how they do it. They couldn't get it on one hand. They had to try the other, but I hated the whole thing. And then they got me a room. My friend worked at that hospital and she was a nurse in labor and delivery. And she came in after she had gone to dinner. So it was like around 11 o'clock. She came in as a not, not working just to hang out with me. And she got me the biggest room, which was fantastic. Uh, Another mistake I made was I allowed basically my entire family in the room with me. So my mom was in there and two of my sisters, my mother-in-law and my husband. And oh, geez. Oh, my gosh. That's, that's quite a group. That is quite that's a crowd. A huge group. So that, we got the room finally around, it was midnight when I finally got into a room. So triage Ooh. around 9, 30, 10, room at midnight. By this point, I'm in some serious labor. I don't want any clothes on, any smell, just it bothers me so much. It needs to get away from me as far as possible, including Darren's watch, which I guess I could smell the sweat on it or something. I was like, get that thing out of here right now. That's so <laughs> funny. Oh my gosh. It's I, amazing the things that get sensitized during <laughs> pregnancy and labor. Yes. I, gotta, I gotta ask, does the smell of the watch bother you still? Like, is it a sensory smell that takes you back there? you know it doesn't it doesn't bother me anymore something stuck with me but that did not stick you know that's probably a good thing (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah so that was one of the things you know I always envisioned this you know labor where I'd be walking around and I would be using birthing bars and balls and water and all I wanted was to lay on my back (laughs) 
stereotypical. And and that's fine. A lot of people don't understand with birthing positions how it, in listening to your body is important. Mm-hmm. So if all you wanted to do was lay on your back, good. Like it's you're listening <laughs> to your body and you know what your body needs you to do. Yes. Yeah. I I did not want to get up ever. Like I never wanted to walk around. And the doctors were like, you have to go to the bathroom. And I was like, I just really don't want to go. I think I actually made them bring me a bedpan at one point because I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Nope, yeah. Not um, and then, and then at, I'm going to say like two, I was, you know, in the crazy transitional period of this, this whole situation because I, I had Charlotte at 3.04 a.m. And I only pushed for three pushes, three or four pushes. Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So at two o'clock, I, I am in the zone and I am falling asleep between intense contractions. So just knocking out, waking up, having an intense contraction, and then just falling asleep, fully asleep. I don't know how I managed to do this. I did not do the hypnosis thing. I just... That's I actually totally out. normal right around then. So transition, you kind of go through like these periods of I cannot do this. I'm done. Like my body is spent. It's this mental game of like I'm done. I can't do it anymore. Mm-hmm. And then right before you start pushing, your body is like, nope, it's time to sleep. We need to rest because this baby's coming. <laughs> yes. And then I was like, I need to push at like 2.30. And the, the nurse was like, oh, no, no, no. You need to wait for your doctor to come in. And I was like, uh, this baby is not waiting. And <laughs> there is I no just waiting. completely agree. <laughs> there is no waiting. I was like, this is happening now. So I started pushing without any doctor present. And my mother-in-law, for some reason, was sitting directly in front of me. And there was this <laughs> table that they had set up with all of the supplies on it. And she was sitting just behind that table, but facing my legs that were propped up. <laughs> oh my and goodness. I started pushing without being told or guided or anything, just like following my instincts. And my water exploded like oh, no. tidal wave tsunami. <laughs> Yes, it was really funny, and she got up and was like, "Ah!" (laughs) Did it splash her? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So water hadn't broken till then? No, not at all. Not at all. It broke when I pushed. Oh, yeah. I think that's that's actually a really common misconception is in the media – And like in TV shows and movies, you always see like the water breaking is like the first thing that happens. And that's the first sign of labor. And actually, that's not the norm. The norm is actually uh, the contractions start far before the water breaks. Mm -hmm. Um, With Charlotte, I didn't – my water didn't break until I started pushing. I actually thought she was going to be born in call, which means with the bag of water still intact. Um, And it wasn't until a a couple pushes in that it broke. And with Teddy – um, the OB actually broke the bag of waters while she was checking me. Ah, uh, yeah. And I, I've heard that it actually keeps it from hurting too much. Like it, it's a little barrier, which I didn't uh, know that. And I was like, I've, I've actually, yeah, I've heard that, um, 
the the bag of water staying intact for a while can help, but um, the baby being born um, with the amniotic sac still intact means that there is no fluid, and so it's very it's a lot of friction as the baby comes out. So it's a lot more painful, or mm. it can. Um, so ideally, you want that bag of waters to stay intact for a while, and then have it break before you start as pushing. You that, uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of the way um, the woman's body is designed to do it. Obviously, that it does not happen for everybody. Some people, you know, their labor does start with the, you know, water breaking. And that's how you know you're going into labor. It's totally different for everybody. Absolutely. So water exploded and a doctor magically appeared. And it was my doctor. And she... I had spoken with her about guiding me in my pushing. Like I had heard and learned that it's midwives will often help, um, help with the pushing. So instead of just allowing you to just full blast push, (laughs) they will guide you and say, Oh, slow down or you're good. Or like kind of pushing the skin around the perineum and just trying to, to, you know, so you don't tear too bad. Yeah, well, they want they guide you with the pushing and they and they ease you through mm-hmm. it. So I had talked to her about that before going into labor. You know, at one of our appointments, it was in my birthing plan. And so when I was pushing, I actually asked her. I said, "Am I good? Should I p- slow down? Is this? Am I doing okay? Does everything look okay down there?" And then she was like, "Yeah, sure, go ahead. You're doing great." Like that, like not really saying oh. much to me. And so I was like, okay, and I just pushed, and apparently Charlotte had her hand on her face, and that caused a, not only a tear, but I had tiny uh, scratches, little tears all along the whole edge, top edge of my brain. Some micro tears all in there. Yes. Those took an eternity to heal, because you can't sew them. Yes. So that's a compound birth and it was pretty painful. Uh, not initially, <laughs> not initially, initially, you know, you don't really feel much even, even though I didn't have any pain meds, I, it was a lot of pressure and a lot of adrenaline happening at that point. Um, afterwards it stung really, really bad. Um, but she asked me if I wanted a local, local anesthesia when she sewed me up, which was on my birthing plan, but she was asking me because she was making fun of me. She was like, oh, like she wanted to stitch me up with no local local anesthesia. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yes. And I was, this like, lady. <laughs> I was like, it's in my birthing plan. You know, we've talked about this. She's like, are you sure? Or can you handle it? I was like, oh my goodness, just the absolute worst. She has since retired, so I don't have to share her name. Um, (laughs) Oh, I wouldn't ask you to share her name (laughs) anyway. I mean, just to protect others from (laughs) her. No, I totally hear you. Yeah, I did. I did complain to the hospital and to, you know, I made sure to, to let everybody know that that happened so that that could hopefully end and not happen again for others. Um, okay, so then she did give the local anesthesia and stitched me up, and I was pretty tired at that point. It was three o'clock in the morning, and I tried to pull Charlotte actually up onto my belly. Oh, this part, 
before she stitched me up placenta that's right um I was trying to to get her but my had a really short umbilical cord so I couldn't Uh get her past my belly and I just imagined I could just pull her up and I couldn't like oh well that's all we're doing and um (laughs) she had some blood on her head because of the tear and she was fine though and she started crying right away but she was really tired too and she just wanted to sleep she didn't even try to nurse for hours actually and again that's totally normal you you go through the the birthing person goes through the birth from the outside but the baby is just as much a part of it and they're going through all that too Mm -hmm. all that adrenaline all those hormones they just went through it too and yeah it's totally normal for the baby to to sleep for a little while before they wake up and want to nurse yeah and I I think I wasn't even worried I just was so tired myself that I was like we're gonna sleep but they didn't let me sleep actually for until they, you know, cleaned me up and everything. And then they wheeled me into the room and that's when I just passed out. But they, um, but what happened at that point when I had Charlotte, my mom saw it happen was the doctor pulled my placenta out without letting it come out. She didn't just let it come out. She pulled it out. My mom saw her do it. And I had specifically said not to do that. And so that caused extra bleeding and it was yeah you have to wait for that to ta- to detach on its own i and i had i i did ask her to let the cord fully do its thing before she cut it which she did do that but that was because we were actively watching and not allowing her to do that at that point but man just so many things i'm like really you can't oh yeah very frustrating now had you discussed your birthing plan with your family that was there like your in-laws your mother your husband my husband knew he was at times you know paying attention to me and so not you know he had the baby he was looking at the me and the baby at that point and my mom was the one just looking and she is she knew that was wrong but she didn't know that I had that on my birthing plan and I had discussed that okay yeah gotcha and so 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 mm -hmm. during this whole process because it sounds like your OB definitely did several different things along the way that you had specifically asked her not to do or you had discussed doing things a certain way at any point was Darren um there advocating for you or stepping in and and being a go-between between you and the OB or you and the nurses absolutely when they um they offered me an epidural and he knew I didn't want it he he what took them aside and was like do not ask if she wants an epidural she's fine if she wants one we will come to you you know, he was very clear about that. And um, he also wouldn't, uh, they kept coming in to ask if they could check if I was dilated. And mm-hmm. he was really good about telling them that we were not, we were not going to, you know, that it was not time. We were going to wait a little longer. Um, I mean, fortunately for me, my labor was 13 hours. So there wasn't a whole lot of, you know, if it took a lot longer than that, I think they would have been more pushy about having having those checks in and, and doing all of that. But it was great to have him there and knowing what, you know, everything was about, because he did that 12 week course with me alongside yeah, of me. He so he knew everything to expect. 
Yeah. yeah. So for our for our listeners who don't know what the Bradley method is, the Bradley method is the way they phrase it is husband coached birthing, but it's also it could be partner coached birthing. And so they actually go through and teach you about the entire birth process from start to finish, both you and your partner, and they teach you about labor techniques that you can use to help you cope with labor and they teach you about advocating for yourself. Um, I actually, uh, we used Bradley Method for our Charlotte also, because my daughter's name is also Charlotte. Um, and so that's that's part of why I was asking if if Darren was helping you advocate is, is because I know that that's part of the Bradley Method. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I didn't mention, but we didn't push in any position, but on my back, like that is how I wanted to push and I mean, I, I propped myself up a little bit, you know, but I pushed on my back because that's what felt better. My cervix points directly back, which mm-hmm. is very uncomfortable <laughs> for cervical checks. Uh, and that was what felt best. Like squatting felt like I was, is that nothing was going to happen. So I just did on my back and it was like three, four pushes and that was it. And then you had Charlotte. She was here. And then I had Charlotte. Yeah. And you know, something that people don't talk about a lot is after birth, you are in a, the mother, what do they call that room? A part of the delivery. <laughs> I forgot what it's called. Like the recovery room? Uh, yeah. There's a, I forgot what that, what they call it. Baby. Yeah, I don't even remember. But in the maternity ward, bonding post, room post-birth. or something? Yeah, wherever you stay for a night or two. Oh, okay. Um, when I when I was there with Teddy, they called it the recovery room. Oh, okay. The recovery but it room. might it might be different from hospital to hospital. Okay. So in the recovery room, we they had me hooked up to an IV. They had put the IV in when I was in my big room, and they had me just on fluids which was why they kept having me get up to go pee. And I did not want fluids, but they said that I needed fluids and that my doctor had ordered it for me. And so I was like, like, I just gave up and I let them give me the fluids. But after that, I was very like full of fluids and puffy everywhere. Um, And in the recovery room, I noticed when I looked at my fluids that it said Pitocin on it. This is after I had Charlotte. And I said, why is there Pitocin in my IV? I need you to remove that right now. And they did remove it, but they told me the doctor had asked to help with uh, the, you know, the post-birth contractions. To, mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, I know what it's for. I don't need that. <laughs> oh my and gosh. so they took it off, but I was so upset that it had been there because I fell asleep and I didn't notice it until after I woke up. And that's so when I saw it there. For hours. Mm-hmm, exactly. And I had that um, those little tears, the micro tears. And I just remembered that because they had me on those fluids, I had to pee like all the time. And every time I peed, it burned so bad. Like worse than labor. I was just like screaming in the bathroom, full lungs every time I peed. Oh my gosh. I didn't expect that to happen. <laughs> My cousin had mentioned when she had her uh, birth and had some tearing that she basically had like a water bottle that she just sprayed down there as she peed and it kind of helped with that. Yes. 
it and that helps. Definitely- um, yeah. It does not if because I had um, small tears with my Charlotte as well, and they were small enough that they did not stitch them either. Um, so the the water bottle does help, but it does mm-hmm. not it does not help fully. Um, the okay. one thing that I found that actually felt good afterward was witch hazel pads, and their little yes. circle. They look like makeup remover pads, and they come in a little tub. You can get them at Target or CVS or, like, any drugstore like that, and they're soaked in witch hazel. And I would line that, you know, hospital underwear with the mesh panties. Mm -hmm. I would line that with these. And so whenever I pulled my underwear back up, it was, like, sitting right against me, and it was, like – so much better is the only thing that felt good (laughs) yeah those were great those definitely saved me or putting the pad thing in the freezer (laughs) oh yeah I heard about that too yes that those witch hazel pads the little tub of those that is now whenever I go to a baby shower or I (laughs) you know meet someone's baby for the first time I always bring along a little tub of those because even if they even if they didn't have a vaginal birth, even if they had a C-section, you can line your C-section scar with those or, you know, they're, it's an anti, it's uh, witch hazel is a natural anti-bacterial, uh, antifungal, antiviral. It's uh, an astringent. It's amazing. It's amazing. It <laughs> I swear by witch hazel that. now. <laughs> Use them today on my kids' faces. <laughs> <laughs> They they both fell on their face and scraped up oh. their face today. Oh no! <laughs> so Rose, do yeah. you have any advice or tips for soon be soon to be parents or other people going through similar situations? I would definitely say, make sure you love your doctor, and if you don't, don't feel bad. It's definitely not about them. It's about what you feel the most comfortable with. That is huge makes a huge difference and I definitely did that the second time around and it was a much better experience um oh, I'm so glad that, you had a better experience the second time around yes it was so much better it was a I don't know why but it was three times as long of a labor but it was super chill there was it was not stressful and not hard which is interesting Um, And then about parenting, I would say that my biggest, the thing that I've learned is that your kids don't have to be happy all the time and being okay with wherever your kids are emotionally will make you feel more accomplished, not accomplished. What's the word? You don't, you'll feel let down if you're always expecting them to be happy. Yeah. I, I think you, you know, you always have that you're always told, you know, your kids have to be happy. If they're sad, if they're angry, then you must be not doing something right. But that is just not true at all. And we all have emotions. We all have good days and bad days. And they're allowed to have those too. Oh, I love that. Yeah. I I tell my kids that too. When When they get upset about stuff, I tell them, you know, you're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to feel angry. You are not allowed to hit people. You are not allowed to (laughs) scream and throw a temper tantrum in the middle of the store, but you're allowed to feel those emotions. Let's work on healthy ways to express those emotions and deal with those. 
Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, it's, totally it's more that. about that. Yes. And especially with stages of life, as children go through the different stages, um, they sort of learn like new emotions mm-hmm. or learn what the emotions like actually mean, if that makes any sense. Like, so when they're babies, they just know, you know, I, I'm hungry, I'm poopy, I'm tired, you know, <laughs> but then as you know, toddlers are like learning, like, what does it mean to be actually angry? What does it mean to be happy? Like they're learning through all these stages, like what the emotions are. And, yes. you know, again, being able to express yeah, them. Those and, like, emotions are getting more complex. Yeah. And being able to express them is, you know, a big deal. Like the, the, the concept of terrible twos, my parents called it the trying twos for me because I was trying borders. I was trying like, you know, I was pushing limits with both my parents mm-hmm. and the world around me. So emotional expression is a big deal with um, neurological de- development. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely have. I like that. The trying to. Yeah, I think changing those words that they associate with each age is something for us, you know, we need to stop interpreting as interpreting as terrible or teenage or or however we describe it. It doesn't need to be negative. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story with us, Rose. We are so glad you came on and opened up and you were so vulnerable with us sharing all of that. Um, Before you go, we have a couple more quick questions we want to ask all of our guests. So first, what is something you do to take care of yourself? Okay. So this is something that I had to learn all over again after having kids. You know, you take care of yourself one way before and afterwards you just, (laughs) you have to stop taking care of yourself for a little while and you have to relearn it all over again. And I've really gotten the hang of it in the last couple of years. And what's been sticking is yoga and Pilates at least once a week. I have to do it. I have to do it. Otherwise, everybody pays. I pay. <laughs> and meditation <laughs> meditation has been huge for me too. Just sitting quietly, allowing myself to not think about anything is just cha- It's just life-changing. And then think- tea. <laughs> Oh, tea. <laughs> right? Tea. <laughs> Having tea at any time of day really just makes I a difference. Feel like I, I feel like I see this common thread between all three of those things. And it's about introspection and quiet. At least for me, like when I sit down with a cup of tea, mm-hmm. like I most people like drink tea first thing in the morning. I actually tend to do it at night after my kids are in bed and the house is quiet and I'm just by myself and I like sit there with like a cookie or a scone and I like have my cup of tea. But I feel like that's a big thing that we take for granted before we have kids is quiet, peace and quiet to just be with our thoughts or be with ourselves. And then we have kids and everything is loud and noisy all the time. Absolutely. Yes. Yes. Would meditation and yoga be something you would like teach your kids to sort of do with you? Um, once like on like a second day of the week kind of thing, would that be something that you would find interesting? Uh, absolutely. I do have them do it. I, we don't always do it together. That doesn't always work for me because I definitely like to do it by myself. Um, <laughs> but I have done meditation with them, especially using it as a tool when they're feeling certain things and not understanding how they're feeling meditation to help them get quiet and listen to to themselves and their thoughts and their emotions really help and I mean we do tea as a as a family also they drink tea with me if you know Charlotte is feeling the way she's like mom can I have a cup of tea like they're picking up on 
how I take care of myself, they take care of themselves the same way. What type of tea do they drink? So all kinds. I, I'm actually studying herbalism, so I have about 50 kinds of herbs in my pantry right now. And uh, we have Jamaica always, always brewed in the fridge cold. If it's, if it's a hot day, if it's, they want something warm, I'll do like a lemon balm or a chamomile. They like rose usually in there a little bit. Some oat straw is really nourishing and quiets the adrenal system. Um, so it just depends on what they're feeling. They kind of tell me what's going on. They'll tell me what sounds good to them. And we kind of figure it out each time. It's kind of fun. So two things. One, Rose would you be willing to come back and do another episode with us all about herbalism and like how we can yeah, use please. that through like pregnancy and birth and postpartum and with our kids? Yeah. Cause like yeah, all of that is fascinating. That. Okay. I'd love that. Yes, absolutely. And second, Taylor, you were asking about yoga and meditation with kids. And I wanted to jump in and make a couple of recommendations for our listeners because I actually do both with my kids as well. Um, For yoga, I don't do the yoga with my kids, but my kids Mm -hmm. will do it on their own. And we actually use Cosmic Kids Yoga. You can find them on YouTube. It's free. Jamie is fabulous. No, I'm not being paid for this. I don't care. She's fabulous. Um, she tells them stories and they do yoga poses through the stories. Um, for them, it's more like a yoga flow. Um, but she does also offer, um, meditation for kids. She calls it peace out. Um, and since you guys are listening to podcasts, another podcast recommendation I have for you is called Bedtime Explorers. And it is a nightly meditation for kids. I think they're about 10 minutes long or so. And, There's some of them where they talk about big emotions that kids are feeling and other times when they go on adventures and they meet animals with special superpowers, like um, I'm trying to think like, you know, an owl who's really wise and then they bring the episode back around to like how you are also wise. So it's it's about building kids awareness of themselves, um, especially internally of what they can do. so yeah, those are my two recommendations for for including your kids in yoga and meditation. All right. Very neat. And uh, Rose, one more thing. Could you share a success or funny story from this week with us? <laughs> All right. Uh, this morning, Ellis was using chicken nugget as an exclamation, like almost like a curse word. He was going, chicken <laughs> nugget, you know, like that. <laughs> saying that and he's never eaten like a chicken nugget before he's never eaten a chicken nugget before so I said Alice do you know what a chicken nugget is and he goes yeah it's like a ball and I was like a ball yeah ball that you eat and I was like oh what's it like and he goes it's crunchy (laughs) (laughs) and I was like okay it's crunchy and then he's like talking about it later to me because you know mom it's crunchy like an egg roll and it's like a floppy ball. And I was like, okay, okay, that's that's kind of accurate. And I was like, you've actually eaten one vegan chicken nugget one time at a friend's house. And he's like, I did? And he didn't re- really remember it. And then Charlotte overhears this, you know, she's been over hearing this conversation about chicken nuggets and hearing him say it all day long. And she goes, mom, what's chicken nugget? 
<laughs> I just thought it was really funny that they have no idea what a chicken nugget is. That's so cute. And then he used it like a curse word. Yeah, he's like, ah, oh, chicken love- nugget. <laughs> That's adorable. I love it. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much for joining us here on Birth Reimagined. If you'd like to join our Facebook community, you can find us there at Birth Reimagined Family. And if you'd like to join our email list, you can get the link to that on the show notes for this episode. Being a member of our email list gets you access to all our freebies and makes sure you're kept in the loop whenever a new episode drops or we have anything exciting to share. Thanks again and see you next time.